All right, I'd invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. We've been in this series called One, and here is our core text where it's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. So if you can, I want to invite you to stand with me and let's read this together, shall we? On three, one, two, three, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we just ask for your presence to just uh, fill this place. God, uh, we ask that you would remove every distraction, Lord, and Lord, that we would hear your word this morning, a rhema word to a new word, a fresh word to our spirit, man, um, this morning. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. So three weeks ago, we talked about the fact that believers in Jesus are meant to honor everyone. Two weeks uh, out, we were, uh, we were talking about how we're meant to love the family of God. Last week, Pastor Patricia introduced a beautiful interruption um, as she shared about the power of stillness. So good, so good, amen. That was such a good word. And this week, our message um, is those two words that come next in our scripture, Fear God. What we're talking about today is the fear of God. Now, I know for, for, for many of us, you're thinking, okay, well, that's enough for me. I, I, I don't need to hear this. And, and let me just tell, tell you to stop right there because I, I just want to say, preface this with, we need this. You need this. I need this this morning. You're, you're going to need this message because the reality is for some of us, we just need to be reminded that God is a righteous and holy God. And uh, he's presiding over the universe today, right here this morning, and, and that no one really honestly gets away with anything. Justice will prevail, prevail. and that's a sobering thought. Uh, but it's a stabilizing thought, and, and we'll get into that this morning. We'll see that this morning. We are not at the mercy and the whims of evil men, right? We have a God of justice who will lead justly. And some of us need the comfort and the stabilizing of that, and some of us need the challenge of that this morning, and some of us, quite frankly, we just need some clarity. And so that's what we're doing. The reality is that for many of us, you've lived under the tyranny of, of misunderstanding of what it means to fear God, and the hope is that you're going to get some clarity on that today. This message is for all of us. It's going it, to, it has the potential to change things for us, and, and, and for others of us, we need to get some fear of God into us, um, and it's coming for you, and I promise it's going to be a good thing. But um, let me just acknowledge at the beginning that when you talk about fearing God or the fear of God, it, it can be confusing. And um, let's just say it this way. There are passages, even in scripture, that, that are a bit confusing about it. So let's look at a couple of them. Moses, in the book of Exodus, when he was talking to the people of God, told them in chapter 20, verse 18, he says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, this is when they, they met God at the bottom of, of Sinai, the people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Now listen to what Moses says. He said, Moses said to the people, do not fear, right? Do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So the people were afraid and they were trembling 
And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen to you, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. But Moses said to the people, he comes back and says, do not fear for God has come to test you. But then he says that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Now Moses just said in the same verse, don't fear, but fear. (laughs) You see that? Don't fear, but fear. And Samuel, he actually does the same thing when when they picked a wicked king and the people realized that they made a huge mistake and they felt bad about it. Samuel tells them the same thing, don't fear, But fear, we'll get to that scripture um, in a bit too. And so if there's some confusion about what it means to fear God, we need to understand it. And that's what we're gonna do today. And so we're gonna do this by looking at who God is and then what it means to fear him. And then what Peter meant here, because Peter talks about it all throughout his book. That's the flow that we're going through. But to start, let me just give a clarifying thought at the beginning this morning. And that is this, that proper fear is a gift of God. It's, it's a gift. Proper fear is a gift. Fear is a good thing. We need it. As a parent, if you take your kids to the ocean, you can get, you know, you, they can get so excited about, you know, just charging out into the waters, right? Um, and it's exciting to see this big body of water making the, all the waves and the crashes, and you just want to kind of run right into it, right? Have you ever seen a kid do that before? And then learn about the power and the force of the ocean, you know, to experience it. But on, 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 on oceanside beaches, for those of you that have had that experience, there can be a very strong undertow, right? And so the, the water comes out to the beach and the waves would crash onto the shoreline and your little boy or your little girl who doesn't really know how to swim yet goes running out there and they will get sucked up and crashed down and then sucked up again and, and thrown down. And very quickly, he's gonna be like, get me out of the water, right? Get me out of this thing. And in that moment, a lot of information is gonna come rushing into that little mind and your son will learn an important lesson about fear. Correct? Son, you know, son, the ocean is not a toy. It, it toys with you. So you need a proper respect of this ocean. Now, you, you want him to fear it, but you don't want him to be terrified by it, right? You, I, don't, I don't want him to wet himself every time he hears a crashing wave. And, and, and so I want him to ride those ocean waves. I want him to feel that force, but I want him to have a healthy respect of it. I want him to swim in it and feel its immensity. But he needs to have a proper fear. Fear can be a good thing and fear can save your life. So, I mean, you, you've all seen those, those wildlife photographers that get really close, like to the, the massive bear to get that perfect shot, right? And you're like, hey man, you know, you're, you're not a disembodied observer to that animal, you're a snack. And you, you need some healthy fear and you need to back up because that thing can hurt you, right? Uh, every parent gets this, every mother gets this, that you're, you, you're trying to put fear into your kid. I don't want my kids to go running out and play in front of cars in a busy street. I need to get some fear into them, right? Not to terrorize them, but you know they need a fear. That car can hurt you. And so every parent knows what it is to try to put fear into somebody. And for many of you, you do this. Maybe you have your friend, uh, a friend that uh, their health choices are killing them. And, and you're trying to tell them as lovingly as you can, these decisions have an outcome that will be bad for you. And so some of, some of you have friends that are lost in addiction and you say, if you persist in this, it'll cost you more than you want to pay. 
right? Others of you, you see people being cavalier in their, their relationships that, and it makes you wanna say, you know, hey, you're gonna go out and do some dangerous things in dangerous places and you don't wanna be there in those places. You're gonna regret it. And you're warning them. And what are you trying to do? You're trying to put fear into that person because fear isn't always a bad thing. It's a good thing. It can save your life. And fear is a healthy response to power. And it's a, uh, let me just say that again. Fear is a healthy response to power. Now, here, let's, let's change the conversation to God. Peter says, fear God. God is powerful, right? And thus properly to be feared. He's intimidating by his very nature without even trying. And you see it all throughout the scripture. God is intimidating. You see it in nature that as you feel the power of nature, all of you have probably felt this. You've been out somewhere and you just feel this overwhelming sense of awe um, of the majesty of the stars, or the immensity you know, of, of the wind or, or the, you know, the storm that you're facing, or you've you felt that incredible sense of fear as you feel the power of the ocean, as you swim amongst its waves, or if you ever felt your house shake because of an earthquake um, or even because of thunder. Insurance claims, they have a word for it, right? When, the, when there was a force of nature outside of human control that can do damage, they call it what? An act of God. God controls nature and nature can be scary. The book of Job, when Job was kind of feeling frustrated by the injustice in his life, he starts to tell God, I don't like the way this is going. And he starts to push back on God. And when God answers him, he answers him out of a whirlwind. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loosen the cords of Orion? And this is my favorite. He says, can you draw out the Leviathan? That's a sea monster. Some people, some people think he's talking about dinosaurs in the ocean because Job was written a really long time ago. And he says, can you draw out the Leviathan with the fish hook? Can you put a rope in its nose? There's still animals in the ocean that we know that we can't control, right? We're not sure which one he's talking about here. Um, he says, but hey, give it a shot. Can you catch him? Can you put a rope in his nose? Can you fill his skin with harpoons? And he says, lay your hands on him and remember the battle because you won't do it again. <laughs> there are forces in nature that when we're close to them, we feel a proper sense of fear. Psalm 33 says, God gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. Let all the earth fear him and let all inhabitants of the world stand in awe. We feel a fear of God as we see the power and the force of nature. And you see that throughout scripture, when people get in his presence, they get terrified. In the Old Testament, we see some glimpses into the power of God. There's this, the passage in Exodus when they hear his voice and they go running. When they see his power, they flee. There's a sense of, of, of dread almost in his presence. There, there are people that God met with to speak with him. And even when he was telling them good news, their knees just went weak under them. They hit the ground and they buried their face in the dirt. And afterwards, they marveled that they weren't dead. You see all throughout the Bible, when the angels show up, people are struck with fear and they hit the ground, just as messengers. You know, when, when God's admins show up, people hit the dirt. So often that angels, we did a whole series on it. They, they, what is the first thing they say? Fear not, don't, don't be afraid. I'm not here to harm you. I'm trying to share with you some good news. 
but there's a fear of even God's messenger. So when, when John the apostle, who was so close with Jesus, he leaned on Jesus' chest, he gets a vision of Jesus in his glory. He hits his face in the dirt that there is a sense of awe in the presence of God. He's intimidating. Even his kindness is just awesome. You see that there, there's, there's many passages in the Bible, even when God does good to people, they realize he is so powerful. I am, I am someone unworthy, but he restrained that power and he actually blesses me and he loves me. And they're left in this just awe of the kindness and the goodness of God, intimidated by it, intimidated by his power. There's an, there's an interview of Syl Sylvester Stallone when he was doing the Rocky movies and he was talking about how he was constantly training in boxing because there were like, I think 47 Rocky movies now. <laughs> and um, he, was, he was like, man, I was always training and I started to feel like I was getting pretty good at it. Um, I was the best guy that I knew at boxing um, at the time. And so then he, he gets to know uh, a friend, a guy, by the name of Muhammad Ali and um, they would talk boxing and somewhere in there someone was like hey you guys should just spar a little bit wouldn't that be fun and then when, we, when they started doing that he said I realized I would do my little duck that I was so accustomed to do and I think this is what normally gets it over on people but he said Ali's glove would be there waiting for me and Stallone said, I realize this man has a level of understanding and ability far beyond my own. And the fact that he was condescending to talk to me about this was just another thing that made him so impressive to me. That he didn't dismiss my stupidity. Um, he was gracious with me. And Stallone was left in more awe. Not, not just Muhammad Ali's power, but his graciousness, as he put it, to stoop to me. There's an intimidating factor to God's goodness. I was having some conversations and catching up with some, some old friends when I was in Denver this week. And one of my friends was talking about his dad, who he was. And um, it was an amazing man and that he loved dearly. And he said, there was, there was only one moment that my dad and I really got sideways. I was in high school. And, and my mom was telling me what to do and I didn't want to hear it, he said. And it was the first time that I was kind of feeling my power as a, as a growing teenager, like I was bigger than my mom. And so um, when she was telling me what to do, I decided to go up to her and try to intimidate her physically. This is a bad thing to do, just in case. <laughs> he, said, he said, I came at my mom just as my dad walked into the room. And he said, my father picked me up into the air, and I knew my dad was strong, but I had no idea he had the power to do something like that, and he lifted me in the air, and he put me in my back against the wall, and in that moment, he said to me, you will never disrespect my wife again, and he said, what was crazy about this is he was, he was, he was trying to explain it to me, and he said, I was, I was feeling the power of my dad in that moment that he could pick me up like that and, and realizing that you've had this power all along and I'd, I'd just never seen it. You've, you're, you're not, the, you're not the, some bully that, that wields this power recklessly, but it's there, it has been there. And yet you've always spoken to me with gentleness. You've always spoken to me with kindness. He said, I was in awe of his power 
and of his restraint, that even in that moment, he said, the way that he was holding me was not hurting me. That suddenly he's a man with all this power and he's channeling this power towards justice. You see that? You will not hurt the person that I love. And yet even in that, he's displaying kindness and he's displaying patience with me. And the way that he's displaying it, he said, at the end of that, I had more reverence for my dad than ever. (laughs) And he and his dad are close friends, best friends. And he said, I was fearful of my dad, even though I knew he would never hurt me, but I never wanted to disappoint him in that way again. (laughs) Right? And you see, in the Bible, there is a holy fear that's appropriate. Proper fear is a response to power. God is powerful and properly to be feared. Do you see that picture? But there's, a, there's different kinds of fear. So there's a good kind, and I, I want to differentiate here. There's a good kind, and there, there's a bad kind. And so that's what Moses told us. He says, don't fear. First of all, there's a bad kind. But then he says, I want you to fear. <laughs> that's the good kind. So what, what does he mean? When, well, we, we all know that there's a good kind of fear. Ignorance and arrogance can lead to injury. So you've got to help some people develop a healthy fear. We've kind of been setting that up. When you have a daughter go off to live by herself for the first time, you know, I want to give her a good fear. I, I don't walk around by yourself late at night. You know, I don't want you to be terrorized of the night. But I, want, I, I know that there's people out there that would want to hurt someone like you. So I want to give you a good and appropriate fear. And so there's a proper fear. But fear can also be a bad thing. Many of us know people that are terrified to leave their house, terrified to drive, or terrified of social crowds, terrified of God even, constantly fearing that he's gonna judge them. That, that's a bad kind of fear. So how do we distinguish the good fear from the bad? Don't fear, but fear. How do we distinguish them? Well, you can use um, a different words. You could, you could, we could go the route where we use words like terror versus reverence, dread versus awe. But I'll be honest with you. I've never particularly found that helpful for myself because sometimes the synonyms just don't capture the full meaning that you intend. And they, they've, they've, they've really never been that clarifying for me. And so if I try to explain the internal experience... You know, here's, here's what it is to experience terror, and here's what it is to experience reverence. It's, it's, it's hard to really put your finger on an internal experience. So what am I supposed to feel when I fear God? And so how do you determine the good kind of fear from the bad as it relates to God? So here's the thing. I would say that the fear of God that is good or bad is best discerned by looking at its outcomes. You can see whether your fear is good or bad by observing the result. What does your fear produce? Because fear evokes a response, we will know it by its fruit. So let's look at responses. Let's differentiate bad fear of God from good fear of God. So this is going to help you if you let it. Bad fear of God avoids God. Bad fear of God avoids God. That's the first one. A bad fear of God avoids God. That's what we saw in Exodus 20. Right now, when all these people saw the thunder and the, and the flashes of lightning and the sounds of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, this was again after God had liberated them from slavery. He was, he was coming to tell them, you are my chosen people. That was the message that he was coming. But his arrival was so full of power and, and, and it looks intimidating. And it says the people were afraid and they trembled. And then notice it says, and they stood far off. And then said to Moses, you speak and we'll listen to you. Don't let God speak to us lest we die. 
And Moses said to the people, wait a minute. No, that's not the right kind of fear. Don't fear. Don't do that. Don't do that. So what kind of fear is Moses saying is a bad fear? It's it this, this forbidden fear, that, that the kind that when it encounters God, stands far off and doesn't want to hear him speak. That's the kind of fear Moses says, don't have that. Bad fear avoids God. I don't want to be near you and I don't want to hear your voice. And a lot of us know people who live there, don't we? They, they have a, a bad fear. It's a recoil. You can see it kind of as, a, I, I don't want to go to church. I, I don't want to listen to your pastor's sermons. I, I, I don't want to hear your testimony. I don't want to hear it. You, 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 you come to friends, you know, hey, you should check this out. No, I, I don't want to hear any of that. I don't want to hear any of it. Or for some of them, maybe they go, it's because I don't want to feel bad. You're just, you're just going to make me feel judged. Um, you're going to make me feel shamed. You're going to make me feel bad. I don't want to feel bad, so I, I, I don't want to hear his word. And I, I, don't, I don't want to be around his people. I don't want to be there. How many of us know someone that has that kind of a fear. You don't need to raise your hand. But you know, I, I know if I thought about my life choices, I, I know that some people would say that what I'm doing is wrong, so I don't think about it, and I just try to avoid being around God and his people. A lot of people you know have that kind of fear. They think if I get around him, I'm condemned, so I don't wanna be around him. We're, we're like Adam in the garden. Where are you, Adam? I heard you. And what did Adam do? He flees, right? He, he fled because he was afraid. That's a bad fear. It's a, it's, it's a fear that forgets that God is also full of mercy. And, and, and so some people fear him out of a recall. I don't want to be at your church. I don't want to listen to that. Others fear God through religion. And, and that's another bad way to avoid God. It's actually through religion. I fake being fine. And often in the Old Testament, you see Pharisees or the religious doing this. Let me just do these religious things to placate you know, the deity, um, not to build intimacy, but to get them to not punish me. You see that picture? So some people, they move from God, not physically, but emotionally, and they actually use religion to do it. Okay, I'll go to church, but it's out of obligation. I saw this as a youth pastor. Over the years, it's the kids that come to the church and the outreach programs, um, but they police people. Hey, don't cuss on the grounds of the church or when Pastor Sean's around. Um, don't take the Lord's name with a vein, uh, in vain in the parking lot, you know, or don't, don't lie, it's Sunday. <laughs> you know, this, there is this fear of God, don't cuss in front of the pastor, uh, that made them want to kind of take on this semblance of, of religion, but not necessarily know who God is. It was just sort of gathering uh, of a gathering of religion to kind of fake that I'm fine or, or let me obey some of this. I'll go to church so God will leave me alone on Friday when I go out or I'll punish myself in some ways. Uh, I remember an article about uh, the actor George Clooney that when he was a kid, he, he knew that he was guilty of some stuff, so he would put rocks in his shoes so that when he walked, it would hurt his feet. And, and he did this to punish himself, and he thought, maybe if I punish myself, God won't punish me. And, and he wasn't, you know, doing this out of an intimacy with God. He was doing it to avoid God emotionally. God is just going to hurt me, so maybe if I hurt myself, he'll leave me alone. 
So some people avoid God through this, this recoil. Some people avoid him through religion. Either way, it's not the cultivation of intimacy, and it's a bad thing. It's what Flannery O'Connor, and he's an American uh, novelist and an essayist, said about the South. Much of the South is Christ-haunted, she said. They don't have a relationship with Christ, but there's enough of the fear in them that we don't cuss or we don't lie around church. But that's not what God is looking for. So Samuel, when he was talking to the people in the passage that I mentioned before, this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 12. It says they had um, wanted a king and Samuel responded, I don't, I don't think you guys are gonna wanna be ruled by a wicked king. He kind of gives them what he thinks, but you can have one if you want. Um, and the minute they realized that, oh, you know, this is not what we wanted, they felt fear. And it was a very real fear. And, and he told them, don't be afraid, though you've done this evil. Don't be afraid, though you've done this evil. Uh, verse 20, he said, let's be clear, you did something that, you know, God wasn't wanting you to do. You did something evil and God hates it, but don't be afraid. Don't turn aside from following the Lord, it says, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And don't turn aside empty things that cannot profit or deliver because they're empty. He tells them, I know you did something bad and you feel it. And in your fear, you're gonna try to empty things. You're gonna try some of these empty things to feel better. That's not what God is looking for. And so he says, don't fear, but fear the Lord. (laughs) don't fear but fear the lord and he's encourages a good fear so what does good fear look like if bad fear avoids god good fear embraces god good fear embraces god it's it's in it's intimidated but it does not move away it's intimidated and then it moves forward, okay? You see it in two ways, the, the initial fear of God and an abiding fear of God. So we'll cover these and we'll look at what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter. The initial fear of God leads you to metanoia, right? It leads you to uh, a lot of times, Pastor Patricia talked about this this last year. It's a word that is many times um, translated as repentance. Remember that, um, remember that message, anybody? And, you know, a, a better way to say that is that a, a good fear of God will lead you to life change. It'll leave, leads you closer. That's good. It convinces you that something must change. Bill Boylan um, knew I was going to be sharing about this, and he shared this definition um, with me. It was given to him by his uh, Hebrew professor um, years ago. And uh, he, he said, a proper fear of God is recognizing the majesty, the power, and the authority of God resulting in a repugnance of evil and a desire to do good. And here's the thing. The culture at large will agree with this because the culture at large leans into a story like a Christmas carol. Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Okay. Man, you're selfish. You are rude. Look at Bob Cratchit. He's freezing. Your life needs to change. You need to have some life change, right? And so we, internally, we celebrate when the spirits come and torment this old man all night long, right? And, and they show him that he's alienating friends. It's not cool. Nobody likes you. And at the end, you're going to die alone. And in that moment, Ebenezer Scrooge realizes through that fear, I've lived a terrible life. And in that fear, he says, I have to change. Something needs to move. I was here and it was bad and I need to move another direction and that direction is good. So, so, so let's buy, you know, tiny Tim a turkey and let's throw him a party and I'm a different man. And we celebrate that change. Thank you for scaring that old man to quit being an idiot and start being nice. <laughs> 
right? We like that initial fear because good initial fear draws us to the Father. We, we need a change. And so if you eat buckets of bacon, you might have a doctor come into your life and tell you, you realize you're gonna die if you keep on doing that, right? The doctor, some, somebody's feeling some conviction this morning. The doctors, <laughs> the doctors, doctors come in to give them a good initial fear, right? Your choices will kill you. You can't keep on doing this. The doctor is emphasizing that good kind of fear, but it's initial fear. It's not meant to abide. Good initial fear leads you to a life change and then that fear goes away. I'm gonna convince you something's wrong so that you'll change and then you don't need to be afraid anymore. I've, 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 I've got to convince you that you need surgery, but afterwards, if you eat right and if you're healthy, you can live and you can abide. I don't want you to constantly live in terror, but I need to put that initial fear into you. So why? Not to terrorize you, but to move you. Good initial fear leads you to the Father. And that's what Holy Spirit does when he begins to move in people's life. You see in John 16, chapter eight, um, Jesus is talking about the Spirit of God and he's, and he's talking about when Holy Spirit moves um, in a group of people, what does it look like? And he says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment because they do not believe in me. And he says, when Holy Spirit first comes, he's gonna move you and he's gonna let you know you need to move in a certain direction. And that's a good thing. He's acclimating you to reality. John Newton, in his anger and hurt, in his messed up childhood, he bided that anger and he took it upon himself and he became a slave trader off the coast of Africa, making money off the exploitation of African people. And so after the terror of nature out on the ocean, he realized, I'm gonna die. <laughs> he felt that force, he felt that fear. And I don't, I don't feel good about my life right now. I don't feel good about what I'm doing right now. And so in that terror, he didn't avoid God. He moved towards him. He went to a church and he heard about the grace of God, that God is a just God. No one gets away with anything, but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to take the penalty away for us. And when John Newton heard that, he did what that initial fear is meant to do. His life made a big change and a big direction turn, and he clung to the cross. And he said, I need you to forgive me for what I've done. And then he wrote a song about amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And I don't know if you've caught this before. He says, it was grace that taught my heart to. It's grace that taught my heart to fear. The first move of grace made me afraid. Is that initial fear? And it should have, but then grace, those fears relieved. That's a good fear. And that's how initial fear is meant to work. It leads you to a relationship with God. It draws us close to him, right? Romans chapter seven, Paul was feeling pretty good about himself. I'm better than most everybody I know. Um, but then in Romans seven, he says, when I read the law and it starts talking about don't covet, he said, I looked at my heart and there was every covetous desire. And I, and I can't stop it and I can't control it. And, and the good that I want to do, 
I can't do and the bad that I don't wanna do, I keep doing it. He says, I am a wretched man. Who can save me? And he realizes I can't fix me. That's what he comes to. It's, it's not just turning over a new leaf. It's not just this, you know, re, this idea of repentance, this, this, this angle where I just start trying to will myself to go another way. Like I promise to do good. Someone has to do something good to me because I can't fix me. And then in chapter eight, starting off in, in chapter eight, he praises God and he says, there is therefore no, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, for the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So he says, that's how it's supposed to work. When the spirit comes, it comes as fear, and then it's meant to lead you to the cross where Jesus relieves those fears. And then once you accept Jesus, that he paid the debt for me, he took my sin for me, he took my just penalty for me, sin teaches your heart to fear, and then it relieves those fears. And I embrace, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not condemned. It would be like if you're, if you're caught in a hailstorm and, and, and I'm in a shelter and I, I want to make you afraid. What's coming for you is gonna harm you, right? What's coming is gonna, it's gonna hurt. I'm trying to put a fear into you, not so that you, you know, you'll be out in a hailstorm feeling bad, but so that you'll see that reality and turn and run into a shelter. You'll run into a safe place. And then as soon as you get in that shelter, that fear that I put in you goes away. You're safe. That's what the gospel does. You're, you're, you are not okay in your sin, but God has made a shelter under the arms of the Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm trying to make you fear so I can relieve your fears. It's a gift, and it's a gift that stays for a moment. I'll make you concerned so that I can lead you to safety, to Jesus, to Christ. Good initial fear leads to your coming to God. And then once it lands, it goes away because there is no condemnation. So if you're a Christian and you feel condemned, I think that I've messed up. I think that I've gone too far. I committed the unforgivable sin. He'll never love me again. What is that fear doing in you? It's, is it leading you towards God or away? You're denying God out of your fear, and that's the bad kind of fear. The believer has a good fear. It leads me to him, and it leads me to trust in him. And then, this is what happens. A good abiding fear leads to reverence. I love the one who set me free. There's a beautiful picture of this in Forrest Gump. If any of you have seen that movie, Lieutenant Dan is angry about the way that God has governed his life. He doesn't feel that it's just or fair. And finally, when he's out on that boat with Forrest and the storm comes, you remember, remember that scene? He decides to have it out with God. There's a, like a fist fight in the air, right? And as he meets the power of God in nature, he begins to rage against God in that nature, which looks inappropriate, but he's not running from God anymore, is he? That 
was destroying his life, but now he's coming at God and he's, he's being real and he's being raw. And in that moment, he rages against God as the storm rages. But then when the sun comes up, he sees God didn't destroy him. Actually, every, other, every single other boat um, got wrecked except his. And he realizes that God who has the power to destroy didn't destroy me. He actually blessed me because I moved towards him. And you see Lieutenant Dan finds peace with God, swimming in the immensity of that same ocean. Living now a life that has changed, that fear becomes a reverence. It's an abiding fear that stays as a reverence. You're a God of power that is full of grace. You are a gracious God. And so I don't ever want to disappoint you again. For me, I've, I've been doing a lot of self-discovery about, you know, even perceived injustices in my life. And we can get so angry at people and at God when that happens. And it, it, it can become venomous in our lives. And I'll never forget the moment where I felt like God showed me, you know, yes, there were some injustices that have been done to me. And that's true in my life. But then God very gently... <laughs> the way he does, speaks to me and says, look at yourself. Look at your lack of forgiveness in this picture. Look at your arrogance and your self-righteousness and the way that you've been treating people. They might have been wrong, but what you're doing is wrong. So just because they're wrong doesn't mean you're right. The way that you've been responding is wrong too. And I realized I may have a bad, uh, you know, this legitimate grievance against other human beings, but God had even more legitimate ones against me. And I felt a fear of God, but it didn't lead me to cower from him. It's leading me to change my response. It's drawing me closer to him and abiding with him because good fear leads us to change our hearts and good fear leads to reverence. I love this God who would be patient with me and I don't want to disappoint him. And that's the kind of fear Peter's advocating. Free people who've been set free, he says, fear God, I revere. I respect a God with a power like that. But even those words can be too weak. And so Peter unpacks that a little bit. Uh, If we go back to chapter one, I want to look at this briefly as we close because it gives us some insight of, of what it looks like for us now to live with an abiding fear that looks like reverence. He said in verse 17 of chapter one, First Peter, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now he's talking, remember, in chapter one to believers in Christ. And he's saying like Samuel, don't fear and dread, but fear and respect God. Don't fear his punishment, but fear that you want to honor his name and to serve him always. Now here Peter says, I don't want you to be in terror of God, but if the one that you call on, his dad is the judge of everyone, then you conduct yourselves with fear in your time of exile. You get to call God dad because of what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. You are adopted into his family, he says, but never lose sight of who your daddy is. (laughs) Your daddy is the judge of every person who's ever walked the planet earth and he will judge. And so you're meant to feel the intimacy of a dad, but with all the station of his power. I'm hesitant to use this illustration because I don't um, like to use some where I can come off looking like a good guy, much less anything like a Christ figure, but sometimes it just helps to paint a picture. So forgive me. 
but there were, there were many summers where my kids were blessed to go on summer camps um, with me where I would be speaking and, and leading worship and, and, or any other variety of tasks when I was the Gateway Dis, uh, District Next Gen Rep. And I oversaw all of the camp ministry programs in our region. There was uh, 14 camps um, that I oversaw. And I remember one specific summer when it was just me and my daughter, Michaela. It was one of the first times that she was able to come along with me, just kind of gotten to that age where she was old enough to do that and come along and went along on a, a trip where I was the speaker for the week. And she was old enough, you know, at that time for, for her to come along, you know, and kind of occupy herself and, and see what daddy does, you know, for a living. Um, but she had never really seen me in many of the youth ministry contexts because she wasn't old enough for that yet to see, see me operating, you know, as a youth pastor. Um, so she, she sees me with people. She's seen me kind of pastor peripherally. Um, she's seen me lead and she's seen me, you know, love her and love our family. But I, but I took her to, to one of our Missouri um, camp events where I was going to speak in front of a, a couple hundred students. And she was there and she was sitting in the room with a, a notepad. And if you can put yourself in the room, this is Missouri summertime. It was hot. Um, the air conditioner was going. It was with the notepad kind of scribbling um, at the evening service and, and drawing when I went on the stage to go and speak to the teenagers that night. And Michaela, uh, my daughter, she just sat there and, and kind of watched. And she had never been in this moment before. The camp stage is kind of all cool and decorated and, and, and the room was packed. And so she's watching her her dad get up on the stage and speak to these people and, and, and for these students to not only listen to me, but to take notes and respond to me when I'm talking to them and for me to lead this room full of a couple hundred teenagers and leaders. And, and one of my youth pastor friends that was sitting with her told me this afterwards. It was, he, said, he said it was interesting to watch her that she'd like never seen her dad like this before. And so she kept on saying things, leaning over and saying to him, my dad's talking to them. They're all listening to him. <laughs> you know, that's my dad up there. That's my dad up there. And, and, and my friend's like, yeah, that's what your dad does. That's, this is what he does. And, and when she came to me afterwards, I didn't, I didn't know she was experiencing all of that. I was, you know, just kind of doing my thing. But afterwards, it was the funniest thing. She walked up to me and she was like cautious with me. And she's like, dad, you were talking to all those kids. Like, yeah, baby. And she's like, they were listening to you. <laughs> yeah. And you know what she did? She just kind of, she kind of took my arm and she kind of started petting my arm. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, what's going on? And I realized that some reverence had just kind of landed in her and, and she was feeling them out. But, you know, I'm still your dad. And so, yeah, you know, <laughs> When this, before this trip's over, you know, you're, you're gonna, we're going to keep on holding hands when we leave this room. I'm going to be the one that's you know, going to go back to the room and watch Little Bear with you, um, you know, and, and bring, buy you that slush at the snack shack. Uh, like, I'm the same dad, but that picture of her dad just got painted with a color that had really always been there. I had been that for a while, but that she had never seen. That I, have, I had the authority and the power over all of these people at camp. I wasn't just a speaker, but it was my job to oversee the camps in our district. And she saw that in addition to the love that I had for her as her daddy. And we need that. And Peter's trying to tell us, 
yeah, God, he's your dad, but never forget that your dad's the creator of all things and that he is a just God over every human being on the planet because that produces reverence. That doesn't produce license so I can do whatever because God will forgive me. It produces reverence. If my dad's the ruler of it all, I should probably embody his prerogatives, right? I, I of all people, should live in accordance with that. So I suddenly start living like Psalm 86 says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth and unite my heart to fear your name. I want to know what you think because I want to have a heart that reveres you. I want to live like Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you're the maker of all of this and the judge of all of this, then I want to know your words so I can lean into your heart of wisdom. Fear of God is wisdom and the understanding that you rule this world and you know how it works means I want to come to you because Proverbs also says the fear of God is a fountain of life. If I want to live in a beautiful way, then I'm taking my cues from you and not the culture. A fear of God leads to reverence, and that reverence leads to an obedience. It leads to a dependence. Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And what? He delivered me from all my fears. That's your salvation. And so he tells everybody, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. You have a reverence. My God is the judge. He's over all of this, knowing that the ransom that he gave was something precious with the blood of Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. God is just, but he is also justifier. Right? He is the justifier. He sent his son to live the perfect life that you and I could not. And then to die on the cross as a substitute, every sin produces a debt, but justice is a debt that must be paid. And Jesus paid that for us so that whoever puts their faith in him can find refuge in him. He set me free, so I want to honor him because he is the judge of all things. And I want to honor him because he was the rescuer of me. I want to fear his name because he is just. And I want to fear his name because he is the justifier. And I want my life to change because I have lived wrongly. And I want to live in reverence because he is my rescuer. And so I get confidence at the end of that and comfort. Some of us need that comfort. We're going to get ready to pray. And I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to close with a song. I, I, we are meant to pursue justice in this life. We're meant to create structures that promote it, though we, we may not always get it. God is just, he will not be mocked. And we find comfort in that and we find confidence in that when you understand the fear of God. And here's the beautiful thing, you don't need to fear anything else when you understand the fear of God. Peter goes on to tell the believer, you may be treated unjustly in the society, but he tells them to be patient and to be kind and to be respectful. This is because God will judge all so that you don't need to fear men. It's a fascinating thing. He says, when you fear God, you don't need to fear anybody else. So there's a comfort in it all. So my faith and my hopes are in God. 
is how this passage ends, that I can have a hope that there's justice coming in this universe, but that I don't have to bear the weight of my sin. And that gives me confidence. God is just, and it gives me confidence. So I will live according to his law. I don't get shaken when the world seems crazy because I know my king and I know the judge and he is just. This is what Jesus did. This is what he did. This is how he had composure in the face of his own injustice. As he stood before the Sanhedrin and they said, you know, we're gonna sentence you to be crucified. What did he say to them? He said, you might be sitting in judgment on me from on high, but he said, I will be seated at the right hand of the father. He told them, you're judging me to send me to the cross, but that I'm gonna sit in judgment of you in heaven. So what you're doing right now, you're on trial, not me. And then when he came to Pilate, Pilate said, don't you realize that I have the power to kill you? And Jesus says, you don't have any power other than what my father granted to you. So make your choice. Jesus chose to live with peace and with love and with truth and with confidence. I don't need to fear what any man says to me because God knows me and I don't fear what any person can do to me. My God has me in the palm of his hand. I don't need to fear God. My God will bring justice, amen. And that can be a terrifying thing. I want all people to fear him so that they will move towards him. And that fear can be relieved, right? And find the voice, uh, the peace that comes with him. It was grace that caused my heart to fear. And then grace, my fears relieved. And how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. God's justice terrifies John Newton and it changes him in a heartbeat. And all of us have been in that place where we've gone astray, but God in his mercy has come to give us mercy and he's calling to us this morning, amen. Let's close with this. Invite you to stand and worship with us. Amazing grace, how sweet that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace. It was grace that taught.
this time this morning, we want to give you an opportunity to say yes to his amazing grace. Maybe you're listening this morning and you're saying to yourself, yeah, Pastor Sean, I'm in need of some grace. I'm in need of some mercy. And you feel like you've been in a broken place and you feel like maybe even this morning that um, you're unreachable and that you've, you've been into such a hard place. But let me tell you, God sent his son Jesus to be a rescue for every single one of us. And there's no place where the light of his love cannot reach, no dark place. So let's respond to that this morning. For those of us um, that are believers here this morning, that we're followers of Jesus, let's respond first of all to his, <laughs> to his awe, his glory his splendor, his beauty, his grace that covers us, his amazing grace that we might have come maybe sometime long ago in a place of fear that wasn't a good fear, but now we stand in, a, in an awe and a reverence, an abiding reverence that he is a good, good God. And I want to serve him with all that I am. God, we, we respond to that this morning. Lord, give us an awe and a reverence for who you are. Help us to fear who you are in a way that draws us close to you. And maybe some of us are responding this morning in a way that we just were saying, I want to resurrender my life this morning. Or I want to give my life to you for the first time. So with nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise up your hand or look up at me. I just want to pray with you this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to say a prayer with you. Thank you, God. 
I'd like everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Father God, we give you our hearts. We give you our lives. We respond to your amazing grace. (laughs) Draw us into your goodness. Let me say it this way. Draw me into your goodness. You are a good God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming to my rescue. Lord, I give my life to you. And I draw close to you. My life is yours. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate this morning. Isn't God good?